Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, uh, just picking up from where we left off last week, says this, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. Everyone say, good pleasure. To give you the kingdom to give you a kingdom. What God has left for us is far more than what most of us have think we've received or have opened ourselves up to receiving. And I know it is my job, the purpose, the assignment on my life and this church and ought to be of every believer to show every Christian exactly what you came into when you said yes to following Jesus. I'm thankful for the yes that I gave Jesus. I'm thankful for the yes to the call, yes to his plan, yes to his purpose. I'm not just talking about in ministry, I'm talking about following Jesus, making him Lord of my life. But now I've gotta come to an understanding and a knowledge, the devil defeats us where there is a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not for a lack of healing, not for a lack of armor, not for a lack of weapons, not for a lack of church services, not for a lack of word, not for a a lack of knowledge. What I don't know will kill me. And I gotta know, I was given a kingdom. I was given access to something. I received a kingdom, not just salvation. Salvation is the entrance. Jesus is the door but I can't hang out at the door, right? Jesus was the sign bearer, but nobody sees a sign to a restaurant and hangs out at the sign. That's the sign, cheddars right there. You don't park and then run over to the sign and just hug the sign, oh, just love the sign. You don't walk in the door and stay in the foyer. No, you walk in, we'd like a table for 14, please. That'll be three and a half hour wait. All right, see you later. We'll go somewhere else. Right? That's that's a Sunday routine. No, you want to go in and you want to enjoy all the benefits that are available. He says that it is his good pleasure to give us a kingdom. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, some verses we looked at last week. We'll go a little uh, deeper this week, but in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes. Everyone say, open my eyes, Lord. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. Everyone say inheritance. Say this with me. Say, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. There's more to what God has made available to us. And we've said this before, that many of us are well acquainted with what God has set us free from. But it's time to discover what God has set us free for. It's time to be more acquainted with what we're coming into than what we're coming out of. It's time to be more informed of what's in store ahead of you than just what you have left behind you. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? 
And we know very well all that he's delivered us from. Well, the uh, addictions and the bondage and the grief and the destruction and the depravity and, and that former life. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for God's redemptive power and redemptive plan. But there is something yet ahead of you. He says, from darkness to light. I need to discover what that light is all about. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Some of us have made the devil out to be more powerful than God. That's one thing that's so powerful about worship and praise, this time that we, that we don't just do a few songs to allow you time to come in late and find a seat and do all that before I sit down and the lights come on and everybody watches you walk in you know, late. That's not why we do those songs. It's to turn your heart toward the Father. It's to magnify him. What does magnify mean? It means to make greater, make bigger. When David was charging after Goliath, he went after him with his mouth wide open, declaring who his God was. You're not just coming after me. You're coming after my God. You don't even know who, he, but I'm gonna magnify my God, not my giant. But see, when we spend six days out of the week magnifying our problem and one day out of the week magnifying the Lord, then we wonder why our God looks smaller than our problem. <clears throat> we wonder why we feel so defeated, even though you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You wonder why you feel under the barrel, even though he's put you on top. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. It's all a matter of perspective. Praise and worship change your perspective. It reminds you of how big God is. And you've been delivered from the power of Satan. Does he have power? Absolutely he does. But it pales in comparison to the power of God. It pales. In, it's not even close. Guys, it's not even a fight. It's not even a fair. It's the most unfair fight on the planet. In the blink of a, his end has already been determined and he knows this. His end is near, and so he's working hard. He's working urgently and diligently to deceive and betray and, and manipulate and twist. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's working overtime because he knows his time is short. He knows sometimes even more than we do of his own fate. On the flip side of that, he knows more than we do of our power if we choose to exercise it come to the knowledge of it and apply it in our lives. That's why ignorance or the lack of knowledge will destroy us. And he knows this. What I can hide from you, I can defeat you with. No, it's time that we understand that we've come out of darkness into light from the power of Satan to the power of God that we may receive the forgiveness of sins. Most of us stop right there. But he does not stop the forgiveness of sins, and a share among those who are, are uh, and an inheritance. Are you in the new King James? I can't tell where we're at. Acts 26, 18, we receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. New King James reads an inheritance. The CSB reads it this way, and a share among those who are sanctified. And so we said this, that an inheritance is a share that you are entitled to a share of something that you are entitled to. If you receive an inheritance, it belongs to you. 
Now, we said this last week. It might be in your account, but it may not be in your possession. What's that mean? It's in my account. I have access to it, but if I don't know it's there, then I'm not accessing it and I'm not utilizing it and making it of its full effect. Just the, 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 the simplest example to give you is if you have a, a, a lost loved one, uh, uh, one that passes on, but they leave you an inheritance, they leave you a large amount of money, maybe you're working paycheck to paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck, just grinding, just trying to make it through, but yet you've got $5 million sitting in a bank account that somebody has left you, and you don't have to earn it, you don't have to work for it, you don't have to strive, you, are, you don't have to qualify You're a candidate just because you're in the family. And Jesus made sure that you were brought into the family to receive this inheritance. To receive this inheritance. In Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's time we come to the full knowledge of our inheritance. Of what belongs to us. You know, when, when, when someone passes on and they typically bring in the family and they have what's called a reading of the will. Now, if you don't show up at the reading of the will, then you don't know what is yours. And now you can get duped. Now you can get manipulated because now you're getting secondhand. Getting secondhand. This is what happens when we don't come to church. This is the reading of the will. This is where we come to find out what belongs to me in the family. Now you say, well, somebody has to die. Someone died. He died and rose again. And when he died, he gave you his life. So you die his death and you receive his life. I say no to my former life. I say yes to his life. And now I receive the abundant provision. Because Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. Say, I am a child of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. It's the first thing he mentions after he says, you're a child of God, stop living like a slave. So that lets me know the first thing the enemy wants to tempt me with when I come in the kingdom, you got to earn it. You got to work for it. You got to strive after it. This is the first next uh, statement that he makes. Stop being fearful slaves. Instead, You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his, let me just, on that statement right there, God will never tell you otherwise. If you ever hear a verse, a voice that tells you you got to work for it, earn it, it doesn't really belong to you, you're outside the family, you've got to strive or work, that is not God. Because he just told us that the Spirit will only affirm, you're my child. You're in the family. You're in the bloodline. This belongs to you. You're entitled to this. this. You receive this just by being a part of this family. That's the only thing the Holy Spirit will tell you. We've got to be quicker to silence the voices of guilt and condemnation. 
We've got to be quicker to silence the voices that challenge what the word of God says because the spirit of God will never say something in disagreement to the word of God. We've got to be quicker with these things. Don't tolerate the voices. The thoughts may come. You're going to have plenty of times where you're going to feel unworthy. Plenty of times where you're going to feel like I'm not enough. I don't measure up. There's no way this belongs to me. I didn't do enough. You're going to have plenty of those opportunities. It's like what an old uh, former minister used to say. You, can, you cannot keep the birds from flying above your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. The thought will come. But the word of God is greater. And this is why a renewing of the mind is so important. Because my thoughts want to go to, I'm not good enough. I'm ashamed. I'm a guilty party. When the word of God says, no, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And everything I died for, I heard a minister say one time, I can't take credit for it, but I heard him say, this is why we lay hands on the sick to see them recover. Because we want Jesus to get everything he paid for. He died for that. He paid a price for that. And so I want to see people healed. I want to see people come into the kingdom. I don't want to see people living with anxiousness and, and depression and worry and concern, living in fear, living like they're underneath. I can't handle that because Jesus paid too great of a price for us to live only receiving halfway. You know, if, I, if I were to buy you a vehicle, like we did this before. We did this with Kyle right over here because Kyle actually had this happen. I've used you as an analogy, and it had literally happened. Somebody literally out of nowhere bought this guy a truck. Didn't even know him. Bought him a truck. Now, if I were to buy him a $60,000 vehicle, he goes to the dealership, he buys it, and, and, and I see him two weeks later, and, and I'm like, what's that weird noise it's making? Well, Pastor, I'm just grateful to have it. I'm just, I'm just thankful to even have a vehicle. I paid for something that was brand new. It shouldn't be making weird noises. Shouldn't be ticking like that. Shouldn't be running low. It should be running. It should be the best of the best. Take that thing back and go get what I paid for. How do you think Jesus feels when we live less than what he's died for? What he paid a price for? This is why kingdom inheritance is so important. Because this is stuff that belongs to you by right of his death. He paid too great of a price for us to say, ah, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with this, or I'll live up to this, or I'll tolerate this. No, it doesn't work that way. He paid the price. And so since we are his children, verse 17 says, we are his heirs. Everyone say heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And if we share in his glory, we also share in his suffering. It's a complete package. But we rec See, some of us believe that we share in his suffering real easy. That doesn't take much convincing. Oh, I know. I've been suffering for Jesus. I'm suffering down here. Well, guess what? Just as much as the suffering you share with, you also share with his blessing. 
I don't get as many amens on that. Oh, pastor, I feel you. That's suffering. I, I relate with every single one of you in this room on that statement. But when we start talking about the blessing that belongs to you, the blessing of Abraham, <laughs> the curse of the law hung on a tree, guys. Everything that came with it hung up there with it. The blessing is yours. But we are more well acquainted with the sufferings of this life than we are with the blessings of the kingdom life. And this is what we have to shift. This is what we've got to change our perspective on. No, he says, together with Christ, we are heirs. We said this, that an heir is a person legally entitled to the property or rank. I love that that's in there because when you understand the kingdom, you understand that Jesus did not die on a cross to make you a Christian. He died on a cross to make you a king. He made you royalty. You rule. You reign. You dominate. That's what I love about yesterday. That's what I love about Pastor Roddy's message and, and all that he does. He wants to see people win in life. You're a champion. You're not a loser. You're not uh, uh, halfway there. You're not uh, uh, one that is unworthy or doesn't measure up. You are a champion. You dominate in life. You rule and you reign because he died to make you a king. It says that he's king of kings. Who are those kings? That's us. Who are those kings? That's us. When it says king of kings, you're the kings he's talking about. You are the kings and queens on this planet, ruling and reigning and dominating as it was originally designed in Genesis chapter 1. He didn't die to make you a Christian. He died to make you a king. And a kingly inheritance, a royal inheritance, comes with all the resources necessary and the rank necessary. He's positioned you in Christ. We share with this as an heir, a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another. And then it completes it this way. The definition of heir completes this way, upon their death. You see, we have been preaching a gospel that says we receive this inheritance upon our death. That's what we've been preaching. Do you know that do you know where you will go when you the entrance in the kingdom starts with the end of your life. This is our this is our gospel tract. This is our witnessing program that we have. No, it's not something promised to you when you die. It's something promised to you when they die. And he died. And he left an abundant inheritance to you. And so we saw in the word of God in Ephesians and Colossians, repeatedly in, in Thessalonians, in all these different places, we see where uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, where Paul prayed over and over again for the churches to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him being renewed in the mind of their spirit. Of all the things he could have prayed for these churches, he prayed that you would come to know, that you would be able to see what belongs to you. That's what he prayed for. He says everything else will fall in place. 
Everything else will fall in line. If you will discover who you are, discover what you have, discover what he's left behind for you, everything else will fall into place. You'll rule and you'll reign. You'll operate in victory. You'll receive the abundant inheritance. You'll triumph over the enemy. You'll be an overcomer. You'll live above and not beneath. If you will discover, remember, the mystery of the kingdom is is, uh, discovered not through information, but through revelation. You're not going to be informed. It's got to be revealed to your spirit. And man, when you get convinced of what belongs to you, you don't put up with nothing. That was horrible grammar, but I said it. You don't put up with nothing. Use the double negative and everything. It's time to us, time for us to look the enemy in the eye and say, I'm not putting up with that. I'm not putting up with this in my marriage. I'm not putting up with this in my life. I'm not putting up with this in my mind. I'm not putting up with this in my sphere of influence. I'm not putting up with this garbage that I'm seeing on the news. I'm not putting up with this stuff happening in my schools. I'm not putting up with my government being overrun. I'm not putting up with this stuff. I know what belongs to me. I know my inheritance. You can't be tricked. You can't be duped. You can't be manipulated. You can't be accused. You live different when you understand the inheritance that belongs to you. So go with me to Luke chapter 15. Use a story that is uh, most likely we are well acquainted with. Many of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. But I want to look at Luke chapter 15 and highlight some things because honestly, you know, in our Bibles, you got different headings. Some, some Bibles say different things. I saw one Bible said, you know, the prodigal son. Another one said the loving father. I love the different perspectives that you can have on this story. But if I were going to put a heading on this uh, story, this parable that Jesus gives, it would be this, a tale of misused inheritance. A tale of misused Inheritance, Because here's the thing. The inheritance fails to work in our life, not because it doesn't have the power to, but because I squander it, either by a lack of knowledge, not knowing it's there, or by its misuse, not stewarding it. So I either squander it or I miss or I don't steward it well. I don't handle it well. I don't take care of it. Well, and so there is a, 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 a priority and importance that once I learn and discover what my inheritance is, how do I appropriate it in my life? How do I use it to its fullest benefit? How can I see the inheritance operating in my life? And how can I dominate knowing what belongs to me and knowing who I am. Beginning with verse 11, it says this. He also said that a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. What is that? That's an inheritance. The share of the estate I have coming to me. So this son knows what is his. 
This son knows that he has an inheritance. This son knows what belongs to him. This son knows what is rightfully his, what he's entitled to. But we're going to see that just knowing what you have doesn't solve everything. And so it says that he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, everyone say spent. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. First off, we need to understand this, that this son is not a son uh, that represents the world. We're not talking about a lost individual. We're talking about one that was in the family to start with. We're talking about one that was in the bloodline, in the the, the family. So, you know, a lot of times we'll use this in in a evangelistic type mode. And yes, the father wants to see you come home, but this is an individual that was in the house and, and chose on his own accord to leave the house leave the blessing of the home, leave the covering of the home, leave the, the, the protection of the home and ran off on his own. Now, for all the self-righteous in the room, every single one of us are that person. Every single one of us have had moments where we have said, I can do this on my own. Every single one of us have had opportunities where I'm I'm not going to listen to my father. I'm not going to remain in this environment. I'm going to, even if it was just for a split second, we've all had this moment. We've all had the wandering away on our own accord, our own decision. But notice here that number one, this uh, represents an individual that knew what belonged to him. 
He knew he had an inheritance coming. He knew what was rightfully his. But here's what he compromised. He wanted the blessing without the responsibility of remaining in the house. This was an individual that came into blessing before he was ready to handle it on his own. It's really a story of immaturity because that's what immaturity is. Immaturity is coming into something before you are ready to handle it. We have a certain age in this country that you must be before you can receive a driver's license. Why? Because we deem that there is a certain age level that you need to be to be able to handle the capacity of a vehicle on a road safely. Now, I'm sure many of us were behind the wheels of something way before that age was. But society has deemed 18 years of age, 17 years of age, whatever it is, is when you can get a driver's license and drive on your own. Is it 16? Is it 16? By yourself? <laughs> okay. Get your eyes wide open. They need to put a sticker on the back of the car that says, I am 16. I am a 16-year-old driver. I have only been driving in this environment for however many months. Like, we need uh, so many days without an incident sticker and then fill in that blank every day like they do at some workplaces. And we scribble it off when there's an incident and we go back to zero and we start that counter all over again. <laughs> 16 years of age, right? Why? Because before that, we're too immature. We haven't reached the level of maturity to be able to handle that. We got to understand this maturity level because if we come into something that is powerful, yet we don't have the power to contain it, this is why technology in the hands of children, parents, somebody said, get them, get them. If I had a cell phone at the age most of these kids had cell phones, my goodness, there are adults, grown adults that can't handle the power within that little four-inch screen. It's dominating their lives. And I'm not just talking horrible addictions. I'm just talking you can't get unplugged from the thing. You're constantly consuming. You know, sometimes I wonder if previous generations could get a glimpse, if we told them the power of technology that we have today and we, and we let them know, but we use it to make TikTok videos, to dance in front of and mouth words that are being projected from another place. I mean, if we, they'd be like, you're squandering all the, we are sending, we have the power to send people to the moon and we're making cat videos. Like, that's the best you can do. <laughs> Go back to the 1800s and show them what we have. And they'd be thinking of crazy things to do. And we're like, just filming people have horrible accidents repeatedly. And then we just watch it and we laugh. And we watch it over and over again. And we laugh and laugh and laugh. It's crazy. Maturity is important. Coming into something too soon, without the maturity to handle it, we will eventually squander it. 
And so when we're talking about kingdom inheritance, we got to recognize that along with the inheritance comes the responsibility to maintain it. It's called stewardship. Now, he didn't have to do anything to earn this, work for it, accumulate it, other than be in the family. But now to take care of it, to honor it well, to steward it well, to value it well. Stewardship always reveals your level of value for something. How you steward it, how you protect it, how you take care of it, what you do with it, where you leave it. If it's worth something to you, it's valuable to you, it's something that you honor, you're taking care of it. You're not just leaving it around for anybody to to get to it. You're not just leaving it, uh, you know, to be damaged by the natural elements. You're you're, you're not just, uh, you know, just carelessly and recklessly. No, you value it, you honor it, you take care of it, and you maintain it. And then on top of that, he was removing himself from the responsibility of living under the father's house. It says that he went to a far and distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now, this is the thing. We have people today, believers today, that have received a great inheritance but are squandering it. It actually says in the next verse, in verse 14, it says, after he had spent everything. There's a great difference between spending and investing. There's a great difference between spending and investing. And an inheritance ought to be invested, ought to be poured into something. Investment yields a return. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. Waste it means you don't receive any value. Spend it means you receive something of value, but it's not increasing in value. And then investing means you're increasing the worth. You're increasing the value. And the inheritance ought to be invested. He went and he spent it on everything. But this is the thing. When you are spending an inheritance for a while, it looks good. There are a lot of Christians that are manipulated and duped that because they have an inheritance and they are spending it recklessly, but on the outside, it looks like blessing. It looks like they're in the will of God. It looks like God's blessing is on their life. It look, I mean, God, I must be doing something right. Look at all that's happening. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people of that regard, and I know they're out of the will of God. I know you have removed yourself from the Father's house, from the burden and the responsibility of living under the Father's roof. Jesus said it himself, put on my yoke. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, but there is still a yoke and there is still a burden living under his roof, living under his house. What is that? It means dying to myself every day. And I can use his inheritance for his glory or I can use his inheritance for my glory. Samson did this. Samson was anointed. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he was using that anointing to manipulate people, to deceive people, to trick people, to get his own way, to bring himself glory, to get himself. He was using it for selfish promotion, selfish ambition. But yet the signs were still coming. The anointing was still working. I remember Pastor Earl would tell me this all the time. He, just, he would say, know this, that the anointing is not a statement about you. It's a statement about him. 
We got to be careful with this inheritance that we don't start misusing it and squandering it for our own personal gain and benefit. It's to glorify him. It's to bring glory. What we just saw happen in the Ellenberg family with Amelia, that is to bring glory to God. That's, they're, they're nothing special. You can receive the same signs and wonders that they received in your life. You can stand in faith just like they stood in faith. You can believe just like they can believe. But it's how we steward it, manage it, oversee it. Just because it's in our care doesn't mean we can do whatever we want with it. It's his inheritance being handed down to us. We're entitled to it, but it is up to us to manage it well and to steward it well. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country. This is what will happen. Something will come that will eventually expose and reveal your, your, your heart and your true posture. Bible says even sin is pleasurable for a time, for a season. But this is what I know. The wages of sin is, it's always paid out in death. It's never been any different. It's never been any different. You know, it pains me that, uh, you know, we, we had this season uh, in, in our planet with churches that compromise certain values and compromise certain positions and compromise certain operations even in their services. And it looked like success because they were filling seats. They're filling buildings. They're, 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 they're growing. They're planting all over the place. They've got locations everywhere. It's, it's the, they've got so many followers and so much fame. But at the end of the day, they were empty. At the end of the day, they weren't following God's plan. They were following their plan. Now, God is not against growth. God is not against blessing. God is not against you having things provided for in your life and being resourced in your life. Don't, don't flip this thing on the other side, that he wants you poor, wants you broke, and wants you without, that you have an inheritance. But it is to be managed well and stewarded well according to his plan, and we do not have the right to take his inheritance and travel to a distant country and live to our own selfish gain. It's to be used for his purpose. It's to be used for his glory. And so we understand uh, that when we use the blessing for our own personal benefit and gain, it is a misuse, misuse of the inheritance. They refuse the restrictions of the house and they desire the liberty of their own selfish lusts. They refuse the restrictions of the house and desire the liberty of their own selfish lusts. So you want his blessing your way. His blessing, but I'll do with it as I please. His blessing, you've placed it in my care. You have, and this is the thing, is what qualifies you and what makes you a candidate is you are in his house. I say it this way, the blessing is in the boundary. Adam and Eve had everything they needed in the boundary of do not eat of this one tree in the garden. Step outside the boundary and we compromise the blessing. We compromise the inheritance. 
being in the house of God, being in the Father's will, being under the Father's roof, being in his plan and purpose for your life is the greatest place to be. All inheritance is yours. All provision is yours. All resources is yours. And there's nothing like using it the way he deems it needs to be used. There's no other life better than being in the will of God. Will it confront and challenge your flesh? Absolutely. Will it be difficult and hard to say yes to his plan? You better believe it. Will there be other alternatives show up? Yep, sure will. You'll be given plenty of chances, plenty of choices, plenty of opportunities. In fact, the enemy will make sure you have plenty of opportunities. And man, he knows how to make it deceptive. Oh, look at this shining thing over here and, and look at this awesome opportunity here and oh, look at this great city over there. And man, he dupes us and tricks us every single time out of the will of God. He doesn't come to you and say, you will die and you will lose everything you have. He promises you promotion. You know, the funny part is, is he tried this on Jesus in the wilderness. I'll make you ruler of all the nations. And Jesus is like, I am king. I am the ruler of all. But he wanted what? He wanted God to bow down. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. How dumb you got to be to try to dupe the son of God, the word of God. And had Jesus not known his, uh, uh, his identity, his authority, his purpose, his assignment, his inheritance, and many of us are bowing in the name of gaining something for our own selfish gain. He got access to the inheritance, but he used it improperly, used it incorrectly. We squander the inheritance when we go far from the house, and we will use the blessing as an excuse to live however we want. I must be blessed. Look what's happening. I must be blessed. Look who's following. I must be blessed. Look at all the great things that are taking place. And we use the blessing as a cover-up to our own selfish intents and purposes. Y'all doing all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Keep your finger there in, in uh, Luke. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says in verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are qualifications. A lot of us don't like to hear that. We, 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 especially in America, we don't want to hear about the, the, the church that's got to be qualified. You have to present yourself as a candidate for. But there are qualifications to receiving the inheritance. Don't you know that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, practice uh, homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom 
of God. He says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So coming into the family now means I live under the Father's rule. I submit to the Father's authority in this house. I remain. But you know what else comes with the covering? It's not just rules. We, we, we do that. God is not a, a God of do's and don'ts. You'll find a lot of do's and don'ts in the Bible. Jesus had a lot of do's and don'ts. You know what one of them was? Do not worry. That's a don't. Don't worry. We commit the sin of worry every day. Seven times on Sunday. Worry is temporary atheism. <laughs> it's temporary. It's living like there is no God. Every time I worry, every time I allow anxiety, I act like God isn't even there. God doesn't even exist. All these things. Now, my inheritance puts me in a position where I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be shamed, ashamed. I don't have to be guilty. I don't have to live in guilt. I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But now I've got to remain under the covering, remain under the roof, remain in the Father's house. When we don't properly value inheritance, the next temptation that shows up is the temptation to work for it. What, is the, what does that prodigal son say? If I could only go back home and become what? A servant, a slave, a hired hand. Now, he left the house a son. Now he wants to return as a slave. He left as a son entitled to an inheritance, and now the enemy has duped him and manipulated and tricked him into working for what already belongs to him. This is how the devil works. Now, the devil's sending him back, but in the posture of, I don't, I'm not worthy to be in your house. I'm not worthy to be called a son. I, I, I've brought shame to the house. Shame to the name. Shame to the family. Shame to you as my father. I'm no longer worthy. That, that unworthiness starts to rise up. Now, the only way to come back to the father's house, and we gotta make this clear, we don't stress this enough in this story, but it's true repentance. It's true repentance. A turning of your ways. A turning from what you were doing and going after what he wants you to do. Coming back to the house. Repentance is not lip service. Repentance is not a prayer that you, that you pray sobbing and boohooing at the altar. Repentance is I leave changed. I want nothing to do with what I was doing. And I recognize that everything I need and everything I have comes under that roof and I've got to get back under the roof. Complete repentance. He came running back to the Father. 
even if it was an improper posture of, if I can just be a slave. The father saw through that and said, you are not a slave. You are my son. You don't get to leave a son and come back a slave. You left a son, you come back a son. This is rightfully yours. This belongs to you. This is your inheritance. Sure, you squandered it, but you've repented and you've come back. But it demands true repentance. He didn't write a letter from home. Or or, he didn't write a letter home from where he was. Hey, I, I blew everything. I'm barely making it out here. But I, 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 I want access to your inheritance. I want access to your blessing. Can you send some more? And also notice the father didn't go running after him. Go finding him in the town. Where's my son? Where's he at? No, he let him live. The, the, the God will let you blow your inheritance. He will let you squander the inheritance. He sure did. Understand this, that it was the inheritance that allowed him to live like a child of God. It was the inheritance that allowed him to live like a son. And even though he wasn't demonstrating that, the power of the inheritance is that you can represent me. The power of the inheritance is all that is mine is yours. The power of the inheritance is you are rightly entitled to the provision of this house. You had all this right here with me. But there's a second son. Everybody say there's a second son. In verse 25, back in Luke 15, there's the son that knew what belonged to him, but he squandered it as an excuse to live however he wanted. But now in verse 25, if you're not in category one, you're in category two. The older son was in the field. Where was he? In the field. What's he doing in the field? He's working. He's being that good son, doing exactly what daddy told him following through with the plan, fulfilling the assignment. His older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants, one of these servants, questioning what these things meant. Verse 27, your brother is here, he told him. Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Why did he become angry? He replied to his father, look, I have, here it is, been slaving many years. I've been slaving many years and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Watch what what the father says in verse 31. Son, you are always with me. You are always with me with me and watch this everything i have is yours 
In essence, he tells the son, you could have thrown a party anytime you wanted. You didn't need a reason to throw a party. You could have celebrated any time. What's he saying? All of this belonged to you. But because of this one thing, he had the mindset that he had to work for it. If the enemy can't tempt you to squander it, he will, quit, he will tempt you to slave for it. If he can't tempt you to misuse it, then he will get you so hard working after, working for, striving for, to earn and to qualify and to become a candidate of what you are already a candidate of. This is religion. Filling your life with religious activity. Filling your life with the do's and the don'ts. Filling your life trying to be something you already are. I remind you in Genesis chapter 3, the enemy came, the snake came to Eve and said, if you eat of this tree, you will be more like God. But if you back up two chapters, you'll find out that they were already made like God in his image and in his likeness. They could not be any more like God than they were already. So now the enemy is tempting you to uh, obtain something that is already yours. This is what the enemy does. If he can't tempt you to squander it, he will tempt you to strive for it, to work after it, to earn it and you become self-righteous. This is what Jesus had to say about those individuals in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he calls them, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He can't even celebrate that his son who had ran away and that his brother who had ran away and come home. He couldn't even celebrate the fact that his, that his brother had come back home. So self-righteous, I have been striving, I have been slaving. If anybody should have been able to obtain it, it would have been me. And the father says, this has all belonged to you the whole time. What's the problem? but because you have been trying to work for something that is already yours. Now that doesn't disregard the work, but now I work because of the inheritance, not for the inheritance. Because I have this inheritance, because I'm in the family, because I'm in the bloodline, this is what I do. I represent my father. I represent this house. I represent the kingdom. Not trying to earn it and gain it, he, he words it this way in the Passion Translation. Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and you Pharisees, such friends and pretenders, frauds and pretenders. You do all you can to keep people from experiencing the reality of heaven's kingdom realm. Not only do you refuse to enter in, you also forbid anyone else from entering in. Reminds me of the woman, worship team, y'all can come. Reminds me of the woman that came in and anointed Jesus, Jesus' feet with the precious oil and expensive perfume. And there was a disciple 
that wanted to know how much the perfume cost. And it's funny the way that he words it. He says that it was a certain amount of years' wages. Work. That's all religious people see is work. Are you working enough? And not only do they shut up themselves from entering in the kingdom, they keep others from entering in as well. The self-righteous, the religious, that have nothing else to do other than to point out everyone else's faults and failures, recognizing, failing to recognize, failing to recognize that they're missing out on the same inheritance. Both squandered it. One squandered it by spending it. One squandered it by striving for it. This is what I know. Just because you keep it doesn't mean you have it. Just because you keep it. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. What must I do to receive and inherit? Inherit. Inherit eternal life. Well, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Oh, yeah, right. I have kept all those things. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. Because you think you're earning everything. You're asking how to get the kingdom by way of earning it by way of working for it, by way of striving for it. No, you access the kingdom by understanding, I surrender to it. I'm no longer striving, I'm surrendering. And when I surrender, I won't squander. When I surrender, I won't waste. When I surrender, I won't spend. When I surrender, I invest. Otherwise, we run the risk of becoming the servant with the one talent that buried it in the ground. And he even produced it back to the father. Look, here is what's yours. And the master said, you could have at least put it in the bank where it would have earned interest, where it would have produced beyond its kind. Are we squandering inheritance or are we stewarding inheritance? Are we valuing inheritance? Are we misappropriating its value, its worth? We've got to recognize what this inheritance is worth. I've got to know what my inheritance is, but I've got to use it for the right reasons and for the right purpose. It's not to bring glory to myself. It's not to make me look good. It's to make him look good. I'm here on the behalf of another. I'm here to represent the father in his house. I'm here to represent the father in his kingdom, the king in his kingdom. I'm here to demonstrate to you what God wants for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. 
Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.